So, before I begin this morning, I just <clears throat> wanted to inform you of some good news. Uh, we won the Christ the King Knights of Columbus basketball tournament. Huh? Bringing it back home. That's all right. But we have got to get a new trophy. <laughs> this is awful, right? And I was reminded very uh, clearly that I am 43 years old and not 25 anymore. Uh, I had a bad hamstring, so I was like trying to take care of the hamstring, right? Because that's what's going to get hurt. Nope, right hand. Almost broke my right hand, so thank goodness I didn't. It's pretty swollen, but I'm not going to shake hands with any of you unless you want to do the left-handed high five or something after Mass. That being said, that dumb game was the end of an incredibly crazy week. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was a lot of fun. Catholic Schools Week always is. It was crazy. But I had very little time to prepare for a homily. Yesterday at 2 p.m., so confessions are at 3 p.m. At 2 p.m., I'm like, I wonder what the readings are for this weekend, (laughs) right? And uh, I had one hour. And last night was booked all the way to 11 o'clock, so this is the best I got. I apologize. The one thing that just stuck out to me, and and, and as I was reading the gospel, is salt. That's what God gave me. Salt. Okay? Here's an interesting fact. I don't know if you know this. You know, he says, what if salt loses its taste? It's good for nothing. little trivia fact for you. Salt can't lose its taste. So what do you do with that? The whole parable kind of throws you for a loop right from the beginning. Salt has no expiration date. Anyway, I find three essential characteristics of salt <clears throat> that we can focus on about why Jesus uses that metaphor for us. As most of you know, I love food. Like I, I have probably a disordered love for food, all kinds of food, any food. Food, in my estimation, is one of the great goods of this world. I had an old spiritual director one time. He said to me, he said he was talking about the pleasures of the world and how they never really give what they say they're going to give, right? And I talk about that too. But I said to him, I said, Father, that you're actually wrong. There are two worldly pleasures that always give what they promise. A hot shower and pizza. I have never got done with either of those and said, that was a bad idea. I feel like a terrible person now. I always feel good after those two great worldly pleasures. But back to salt. If you gave me one spice for the rest of my life, you said you only get one spice, it would definitely be salt. And the day the doctor tells me that I can't eat salt anymore is going to be a dark day for Father Waltz. A very dark day. It's an amazing spice seasoning. If you cook, if you know anything about cooking, salt will radically change a dish. Like, if you have a bland soup, you put salt in, all of a sudden, all of these flavors will come out. It's, in, it's just a fascinating thing. It enhances food and brings out different flavors. Think about it. Imagine just a steak without any seasoning. Just a sirloin. Take a sirloin, throw that bad boy on the grill, and serve it to your friend. Or, take that same steak and salt it up real nice, put a nice crusted sear on each side and serve that. Way better. Way better. Just simply by adding salt. I'm getting hungry right now. 
Or, or, or caramel ice cream. Good. Salted caramel ice cream? Amazing, right? Delicious. For as long as human beings have been alive, salt has been used as a spice to enhance in some way food. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. We're supposed to enhance the world, enhance other people's lives. When people look at us, they should see something spicy about our life that looks like it tastes good and they want it. I had the opportunity to with this Justin Fatika event. A lot of you guys came to it. His opening act was Steve Simone, the Comedy Central comedian. And I had an opportunity to interview Steve in a, a podcast series that I'm going to be doing uh, with this new production company. It's called Stand Firm Productions. <clears throat> and uh, we're kind of building up our, our video base before we go public with it. But I got to interview him. And, and when I interviewed him, he said when he was first starting as a comedian, he had to make ends meet because he was like, he's like, I wasn't very good at the beginning. And uh, he said, so I worked at Arnold Schwarzenegger's Gold's Gym in Hollywood, Los Angeles. He said, which, for the record, is the loneliest place on earth. It is so me-centered. And he said, but I, at this time, had encountered Jesus, and my life was just great. You know, I didn't have a lot of money. I was working in a gym, living by myself in a little apartment. But he's like, I had meaning. And he said, he's like, when I worked there, I met a lot of really important, well, not important, famous people. So he's like, I met Lou Ferrigno. Do you guys remember Lou Ferrigno? The original Incredible Hulk, right? And then Hulk Hogan, uh, Ric Flair. There were all these big, you know, names coming to the gym, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think. He said, but there was one woman that he will never forget. It was this lady, and she always looked just incredibly sad. But every day, she would come to the gym seven days a week, and every day that she came to the gym, she would match her workout outfit with her Bentley. Now, for those of you that don't know what a Bentley is, it's a car that's worth, on the low side, a quarter million dollars. She had seven of them, and matched her workout outfit with them each day that she came to the gym. And that's why he said, he's like, I'm telling you, it's the loneliest place on earth. <laughs> because everybody's trying to show how great they are. Well, anyway, she comes up to him, she's like, why are you so happy? Every day I come in here, you're so happy. You don't make any money. You're a mediocre comedian. He's like, whoa, lady, hey, come on. <laughs> like, take it easy, you know? You don't make any money. You're a mediocre comedian. You work at a gym. And Steve looks at her and he's like, do you really want me to tell you? She's like, yeah, I want to know. He's like, no, no, no. Do you really want to know? She looks at him and she says, is it God? Like in that voice, is it God? And he's like, yep. And she just rolls her eyes and walks away. Even there, right? Because Steve, that's salt, Right? He's enhancing people's lives around him. He's looked like, man, I want to be like that. I want, I want part of that. But sometimes even that isn't enough. That they would rather, you know in the rich man in the gospel, right? The rich man comes forward and Jesus says, you lack only one thing. And it doesn't say that the rich man said, no, the heck with you, I'm never doing that. It just said the rich man went away sad. And I think that's what happened to this lady. 
that she would rather stay in her sadness with her little facade than really experience true joy. So salt enhances stuff. Second, salt also preserves. We take this for granted because we have refrigerators, but in the ancient world, salt was a necessary preservation mineral. They needed lots of it. And so when Jesus says, you and I are meant to be the salt of the earth, what he means is is we're, we're meant to preserve those things that are good so they don't go rotten. Like what? Like marriage. How about that? We didn't do a very good job of preserving the good of marriage, did we? Because that's gone rotten. The goodness, truth, beauty. That's our job as a church, is to preserve it. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. Look at the beauty we preserved in St. Peter's Basilica. Look at the beauty that we preserved, reserved, preserved in the Renaissance. In art, in architecture. And now we're just letting it go. And the world's going rotten because Christians aren't salt. That's why we always battle the powers of the world because salt is trying to preserve not only the moral order, but the dignity of the human person and spiritual nature of every human being while the world is trying to rot it, destroy it. Church has done this forever and it's going to continue to do it. And finally, salt is a destructive element. Use too much of it. Right? In the ancient world, you know what happened when, like, the Romans, for example, if they had a real arch enemy and they beat them, you know what they'd do to the city? They'd salt it. Literally, they would put salt all over the ground. Why? So nothing would ever grow there again. So not only are we called to enhance people's lives, the way we live, we're also called to preserve the good, the true, and the beautiful, but we're also called to salt the ground of the enemy. To destroy anything that is opposed to God's kingdom. So how do we destroy the works of darkness? How do we become salt against the enemy's strongholds? I'm going to tell you, it's very easy. You bring everything into the light. If his power is darkness, our power is light. That's how we destroy the darkness, is we scatter the light. When I was at this Justin Fatika event, for those of you that went, I saw something that blew my mind. It was also a little disheartening. For those of you that don't know, what Justin, what he does is he says, is there anybody here suffering, right? Anybody lose, you know, if somebody gets up, they say, I lost my dad. And he says, is anybody, there's 2,000 people, anybody in this room, have you lost somebody that you love? They raise their hands, he says, come down here and hug, give this man a hug. Let him know he's not alone, because nobody should suffer alone. Get into the light. All of you get into the light. And I saw a lot of young people come down. I saw very few adults get up. Because we're good German Russians. Our way of dealing with emotion is to pretend it doesn't exist. Our way of dealing with pain is to cover it up. Don't talk about it. Bottle it up. As Justin said, we have taken pain and suffering, put it into a bottle and marked it poison. It's not poison. That's pain and suffering. It's at the center of everything we do. That scatters the darkness. And to the degree that you and I are united in our pain and in our suffering is the degree that we will have power against the enemy. 
How do you salt the enemy's territory? So nothing ever grows there again. Nothing rotten ever grows there again. You bring it all to the light. You expose it all. During that night, there was a kid that came down and he said he'd suffered from anxiety. A lot of anxiety. Justin's like, anybody ever suffered from anxiety? Come and give this man a hug. Let him know he's not alone. And I got up and walked across the entire stage. Hugged this guy. After the show, somebody came up to me and said, I had no idea you suffered from anxiety. And I said, that's because you never asked. None of us never ask. We just assume. And that's why the church is losing power. And when I brought that to the light, when I brought that to Jesus, my anxiety, when I was younger, it went away. Not totally. I still got it every once in a while. But I know how to deal with it now. Devil doesn't have any control over me. That territory of anxiety, that's salted. We're the mystical body of Christ. We're a family. And families help each other. And if there's something that we've done a terrible job of in the last 50 years, it's that. We criticize each other. We're good at that. Families do that too. We fight with each other. We're good at that too. Families do that. But we don't love on each other very much anymore. So enhance people's lives with your faith. Preserve what is good, true, and beautiful in this world before it goes rotten. And destroy the enemy's tactic of making me think we're alone because we're not alone. We're a kingdom. And we need to start acting like a family and start helping one another. We do these three things, we will surely be what Jesus has called us to be. The salt of the earth.